0: Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. I'm your host, Misty Little. This is Season 3, Episode 2, and today's guest is Lee Rouse with Rouse's Horticulture. Lee is a gardener, horticulturist, and extension agent for Louisiana State University. Our conversations span Lee's background in developing a love for plants, working at various plant nurseries, and how he became an extension agent. We talked about all sorts of cool things from new developments in sweet potatoes to remediation and dealing with the aftermath of floods. Something that's unfortunately a pertinent topic due to recent hurricane events like Harvey. If you enjoyed today's episode, could you please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you listen to? As a separate note, if you listen to episode zero of the podcast for this season, you'll know that I've asked something else from you listeners. If you didn't catch that episode, a short synopsis is that I'd like you to send me a one to two minute voice memo of why of your wife for gardening. So you can record it via your phone, pop it over to me in an email at the path at gmail.com, or you can record it via some other alternatives I've listed out on the show notes. So be sure to include your name and where you garden in the recording too. As always, you can find me on Instagram, at the Garden Path Podcast, and you can download the show and see the show notes at TheGardenPathPodcast.com. dot Happy gardening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right. So, thankfully, this is hopefully going to work this time. So, I guess we can talk about, um, I guess, who you are, where you garden, and kind of um, where you are at in Louisiana.
1: Sure. Well. Who I am? I'm Lee Rouse. I am the East Baton Rouge Parish County Agent, or you know, Parish County Agent, whatever we want to call them here. It gets kind of confusing, yeah. Uh, state, but um, before that, I was working in New Orleans. I was the County Agent there in Orleans Parish, and so working uh, the two most metropolitan areas here in Louisiana has really. Uh, been eye-opening, and it's it's not quite county agent work like you would think of, you know, in kind of more of a rural area where, you know, get out, go to the farm, get out your truck, go talk with the farmer. Um, It's homeowners, it's lawns, grasses, uh, roses, uh, anywhere from orchids, people wanting to start small farms, school gardens, community gardens, uh, trees, urban forestry, I mean, you just name it. Um and pretty much work with it, and that was uh, in New Orleans. In Baton Rouge, it did kind of add some some more row crop type stuff because we get pretty rural pretty quickly, right? When you get outside of town, right? Uh, and so there there are some um, well, what we call larger farms here in Louisiana, That's maybe like ten acres or less sometimes, uh, right? But yeah, I think the rest of the world would call that a small farm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you guys deal with a lot of rice farms or in cotton uh, We and that do, kind of thing? but that's
1: actually more towards y'all. Uh, okay. Towards the Texas side over in Crowley, the southwest corner of Louisiana. That's typically where we have our rice paddies. Um, okay. But so, yeah, no, not here. Uh, though we do have some plots on LSU campus uh, in Baton Rouge, where I'm at, where they do do some, some research, but, but not um, extensively, no.
0: Right. Yeah, so I guess uh, how did you kind of get into gardening and uh, turning into an extension agent?
1: Oh, well, those are two different stories, (laughs) but um, getting into horticulture, uh, two things. One, my my mom and dad, we lived over uh, in the garden district, which is just kind of a tree-lined type area. A lot of old southern gardens like camellias, aspidistra uh and then then my um lived with my grandmother well not lived with her but uh visited her pretty often uh she lived on the other side of town and her backyard backed up to the woods or what we called the woods and it was you know i was really young so i say it's 100 acres i have no idea how big it is but as a yeah. child it was it was the biggest forest i've ever seen mm-hmm. I used to run through there and play around and so that's really where i kind of got my outside I guess nature part of me, but, um, ironically when I was 16, uh, still hanging out in the woods playing, uh, or well, maybe not 16, maybe 14 or so. Um, yeah. you get yeah. that
0: car at 16, you're gone. I forgot about that. Yeah.
1: No, but, um, ironically they cut down all of those woods <sighs> and, uh, built some brand new neighborhoods cut down every single tree and mm. um, built this neighborhood back behind my grandmother's house and my mother bought a house there. Oh, So I kind of lived in the woods, but in front of the house and there was no trees anywhere to be found.
0: Right.
1: So at that point we moved out of that garden district uh, area and I kind of realized, man, there's just no, there's no vegetation. There's no plant life. You're driving down the road and it's just rooftops and concrete and it just feels hot it didn't even matter what time of year it was if the sun was out it just seemed like it was hotter than it was
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so I really got into gardening uh at that point you know wanted to grow some trees uh in the front yard planted a few of course you know being being the young male of the house I had to mow the grass so then I kind of got into a little bit of lawn care hated it for a long time yeah um <laughs> so and then um but actually back behind that neighborhood uh where those woods were and then now my mother's neighborhood was a or still is a plant nursery a garden center and so over time as my as my develop as, excuse me as my interest developed, I decided to go apply for a job over there and sure enough got it uh, of course you know they'll take any young man that's willing to work and right time, um and just kind of worked my tail off there. Uh, and then what I realized was, man, the air conditioner inside is really, really nice. But we couldn't stand inside unless we were helping customers. Ah. But the only things they had inside were fertilizers, pesticides, um, composts, you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, so I really kind of beefed up my skills on some, some fertilizer recommendations and how to read soil samples and then uh weed identification bug identification and uh conventional and organic chemicals to go along with whatever whatever that customer needed so then i got to kind of hang out inside a little bit and get a break from the heat so that's where my knowledge i guess really began was just trying to get out of the sun right um, and then uh eventually realized in my I don't want to tell you how many years I was in school, but uh, <laughs> I got out and that's the most important thing. But um, eventually somewhere halfway through my career, I realized you can get a degree in this. Like this isn't just a, where people come and buy plants and pesticides and, and herbicides. You can really study this and go very deeply into it. And then I uh, got, got my degree in horticulture and have never looked back. And then you asked about county agent work. um, A good friend of mine, Dan Gill, he's kind of our gardening guru here in Louisiana. Um, Over time, I I ended up going back and working at Clegg's, which is the uh, nursery that I was working at in in college. And he said, what are you doing working here? We have a job opening. It's a county agent position. It's down in New Orleans. Um, Missed out on a whole section of my life to make this make sense, but I was living in New Orleans at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm commuting to Baton Rouge, and he said, you need to apply for that job, and so, sure enough, applied for it and became the county agent of Orleans Parish, and it was one of the most incredible jobs I've had. My office was a satellite office outside of uh, City Hall, so I didn't have to work downtown in the mm-hmm. concrete jungle. Uh, my office was actually in the Botanic Gardens of oh, City wow. Hall in New Orleans, and so... And I could just walk out of my office and see hundreds of thousands of different species and varieties of plants. And so there was never a shortage of interest and inspiration.
0: Now, is this post Katrina?
1: It is post Katrina. So it was, it was probably about five years ago, four years. Okay.
0: Ago. Okay. Oh goodness. I could ask questions on that too.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I guess as, um, so you're, in, Nor- in New Orleans, being an extension agent, um, what are some of the things that you kind of came across dealing with homeowners? Like, what are the most uh, frequent questions that you, you received?
1: Uh, I would say lawn questions. Yeah. You know, right? right. Because everybody has a lawn. Right. You know, it didn't matter how small. It's this that concept. If you're a homeowner, you have to have a lawn.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you can have the most beautiful, majestic live oak hanging over your property giving off shade but for some reason people still want to have a lawn
0: yeah, yeah.
1: It's, it's, i guess it's just home ownership it's land ownership <laughs> um and um so maintenance and care of that uh and then a lot of times because of the large tree canopy that new Orleans has in certain areas uh it's decreased pretty fairly significantly about like 70 percent, i believe after katrina um but those who did have trees wanted to know how to grow grass in our trees. And, you know, you kind of give them a bit of a smart aleck answer and say, well, you need to cut down the tree, you know? You right. want shade, but then you also want to grow a full sun plant. Right. You just can't do both. Um, so just enjoy having a tree instead.
0: That's the, uh, our, our local garden radio guy. He That's what he fields questions about a lot too. And he's like, <sighs> <laughs> Why do You want the grass under the tree. Do you like the tree? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: So it's the same chord, same thing everywhere. I suspect. So.
1: Yeah, most likely.
0: Um, so beyond grass, like, uh, what, uh, our homeowners, are they interested in branching out from your typical garden or, I mean, New Orleans has kind of got a tropical flair and feeling to it. So,
1: yeah. So one of the things, um, so turf and lawn was was a very big question, but a lot of it had to do with diseases and insects mm-hmm. of turf and lawn. Well, any, any other category of plants was typically some sort of disease or, or insect issue. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you experienced this in north, northern part of Houston. You just don't get a winter. So we don't mm-hmm. get that cold time where it kills off some of these pests, these garden pests, so they just continue to keep multiplying. I mean, I think the last two or three years, we didn't even get, we barely got into the thirties in New Orleans. Yeah. And so, you know, you have nice 40 degree mild weather and a rainy winter, all of a sudden there's a fungal explosion on, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you're growing, doesn't matter how disease resistant that plant was that you bought at the nursery, it's just going to succumb to that. Um, and that's... We have a lot of urban farmers down there in New Orleans who, um, who either burnt, purchased or rent tracts of land, or uh, residential lots of land down there where houses had gotten swept away, and nobody's coming back to rebuild. They use it to grow, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, urban farmers typically are going to grow organically. Mm-hmm. And so, that was one one struggle down there that I saw was. And I commend them because they could get they could pump out some produce down there, but I mean an organic gardener in New Orleans, if you can succeed in that, <laughs> then you are an incredible gardener or farmer if you can beat that system Wow,
0: so you're mentioning building these lots and coming in and farming them. What did they have to do to i guess do any remediation uh, after Katrina, do you know? sure removing so, soil that kind of thing i mean that's probably going to be something that's going to be looked at here in houston now so
1: yeah um so one of the issues was um so it wasn't the rain that we had in new orleans we actually had a um uh, flood wall break right and so it was over in the lower ninth ward which is um predominantly lower socioeconomic neighborhood or it was at the time and so it flooded these houses that have not been renovated in decades well what happened is the houses collapse or they just get knocked down well there's all that lead paint Mm -hmm. that was originally painted with that is now kind of mixing into the soil and so there were some very hot spots uh down there in the lower ninth ward but it's very cheap land so it's kind of you have to weigh weigh your situation Mm -hmm. yeah you can get this track of land very very cheaply but you're going to have some lead issues, and you don't want to grow food and, and a hot soil, and then try to give that to people. Convince right. them. At the same time, they don't eat tomatoes, and you're trying to convince them to eat these lead-infested tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, um, it's going to be a hard sell. And so, so the LSU Ag Center does do um, some soil testing, and so we we did a lot of soil testing down there. Uh, some areas were fine, but uh, other areas. We just really suggested that you need to build up. You can do some remediation. We didn't really have, and we still don't quite have um, very solid data on that. Mm -hmm. Like, I know you can grow sunflowers uh, in a lead contaminated area, I believe, and uh, harvest the sunflowers, take them to an offsite facility and burn them, and then extract the lead content from the burned. Oh, wow. Um, But, you know, these are urban farmers. They're not going to invest that kind of money. Into right. Um, so typically we'd say just, you know, dig out what you can, build it back up with some good soil, then do a raised bed. Um, vegetables, 90% of the roots are going to be in the first eight inches of the soil anyway. So if you build a one foot uh, tall bed, it's very unlikely that those roots are going to penetrate into that um, Soil? soil plus you ex- you excavated and added fresh good soil there anyways so you have probably about fourteen inches of good clean soil mm-hmm. and then the other I won't say good thing about lead but a positive of lead is that it is uh, immobile in the soil so wherever it is it's going to stay there it's not like a, a phosphorus or a nitrogen where it's going to leach into the water and, and run out it's oh, okay stuck there it's bound there. Um, and then it's also very difficult for plants to pick up that lead to begin with. Um, and then whenever it does, it typically stores it in its leafy tissue, not necessarily in the fruit. So you're going to be very hard pressed to get lead inside of a tomato fruit versus maybe uh, a leaf lettuce or kale.
0: Right. OK.
1: And again, this is not LSU Ag Center research data that I'm telling you. This is just from my experience and what we've seen in other studies. Okay. Lead's a very touchy subject.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well, I'm, all over okay. the country right now. So
1: I try to stay as clear from that as possible, but right. I'm just say just, if it has lead, don't, don't garden there.
0: Right. Yeah. I was just curious because um, that's been kind of a question here now. And uh, I know that there's experience in that direction with, people returning to their homes and gardening and what can we do and uh, what's safe. So, okay. Um, Now, so what are you doing at your, at the office you're in now?
1: Oh, let's see. Um, Just this week, um, as I got moved into Baton Rouge, um, I've picked up writing for the paper here in town. Oh good. I'll do a radio show here in town. So I've done both of those just this week and those are weekly um releases. hmm Um working on my masters. Currently um looking at some sweet potato research. Um, some really, really cool stuff. It's some ornamental edible sweet potatoes. So we have the ornamentals,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: chartreuse, the uh I think blackie and marguerite ornamentals that, that people grow. Right. Uh, and then we have our field production sweet potatoes, Beauregard, um Evangeline, and Mirasaki are some of those varieties there. Well, why not produce one that a homeowner can grow in their front yard that looks nice and you still get the same effects as the ornamental sweet potatoes, but you can also harvest the potato as well and get something to eat because you're going to pull up that sweet potato anyways at the end of the season. Might as well pull up something that you can eat. Well, the right. ornamentals are very, they're very bitter. They're not, they're not very um, palatable, but we've kind of done some backbreeding um, and mixing of some genetics where we're now able to get some very good tasting sweet potatoes, but with some very attractive foliage as well.
0: Oh, that's exciting because, um, you know, I've grown both the ornamental mm-hmm. and uh, the typical ones that you would eat and harvest. Um, and I've always wondered you know, if they produced any kind of the ornamentals, if they had produced any kind of edible tuber or if the leaves were really tasty. Cause I know you can eat the leaves. Um, yeah, from, you know, your bow garden
1: stuff. So I didn't realize that I, I went up to Washington a few weeks ago to kind of look at some uh, production that they're doing of the field production, sweet potatoes. And, um, the lady up there told me that the, um, the workers when they have to prune them back in the greenhouse, they prune them back and they take all those, that foliage back home with them and they I think they like steam it down and they put rice vinegar on it. Mm, mhm. So that's okay. You know, it's it's free food. Uh, yeah. So give it a shot. I'll have to try that.
0: Yeah, I've thrown uh, the leaves in smoothies before and I know people have sometimes will put them in salads, but, you know. People do all sorts of things. So, um, but I haven't done, I haven't gone too crazy with the the leaves, but I do know they're edible. But I would, I've never always wondered about the ornamentals. So that's cool that you guys are working on something that does kind of double duty.
1: Yeah. And I've, I guess that kind of came from, or they thought I would be a good candidate to do some study of that because dealing with the public in the two metropolitan areas, you know, it's becoming very, um, more and more homeowners are wanting to grow their own food and are concerned with where their food's coming from and want to have some sort of input into it.
2: Mm-hmm. They
1: also don't want to lose that that pretty value or that valuable right. value. And, you know, this is just my opinion. I don't think vegetable gardens are that pretty. They, they have an attractiveness in the fact of what they do. But just looking at it, they're not that attractive from a design standpoint.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if we can incorporate more and more ornamental edibles into the landscape or edible landscaping,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think that would be really neat. Um, now I'd love to look at some blueberry hedges that you can plant between your neighbor's houses. And something where we could hedge and make them very dense but still be able to harvest blueberries off of them. And, mm-hmm. and then hopefully get somewhere with these sweet potatoes as well.
0: Hmm. Um, so you said you've writing for the newspaper and doing uh, the radio show, um, what's kind of your focus on those uh, every week? Is it kind of, do you come up with the topics or do you kind of take input from the public or see what trends are going on?
1: Uh, A little bit of both. Kind of weigh all of those different aspects and kind of see what comes out on the other end of that. So I really don't have a whole lot of input in the sense of people saying, hey, can you write an article on this?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But... In the newspaper, there is um, my email address, and so people will see that, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Let me ask him a question about something else, and so as I get those questions in, if it's a good question and something I can foresee it being an article, I try to write it as lengthy as possible, and I'm sure some of these people – you know, they get these emails back and they're like, look, I just wanted to know, you know <laughs> let me grow this here. That's I just it's just a yes or no question. You didn't have to write a dissertation. Right. <laughs> but I kind of can see that as an article and say, well, let me write this as long as possible. And then I'm going to save that and put that off to the side and then develop that into an article maybe, you know, next week or a month from now. Um, and then with the radio, you know, I really try to take those same ideas and lengthen them up a little bit. So, uh, radio, whenever I type out my script or if it were to be typed out, it's about seven to 800 words where my newspaper article is about anywhere from three to 500 words. So I do need a little bit more content on radio. And then the other thing is, is to avoid plant descriptions mm. on the radio. So, excuse me, for instance, planting uh Whopper begonias. You know, you can try as hard as you want, trying to um, verbally describe that particular plant. But like they said, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and I only mm-hmm. have eight hundred words to get out a description. So I'm short two hundred and can't get the job done. Right. So I'm going to save those, you know, particular plants or specific plants for the newspaper, where I can incorporate a couple of pictures with them. Okay. But it goes in between. Care and maintenance of lawns, flower beds, tree care. Um, before, or as we entered into hurricane season, I did a couple of episodes on the radio of hurricane preparedness in the garden. Uh, getting an arborist out just, and this is before a hurricane is actually coming. Just that July one or, or June one, I think it.
0: Yeah, June. Okay. Yeah.
1: And get an arborist out that time, not not as a hurricane enters the Gulf. Right. And um, just look at snagged branches, see if there's any dead branches. Maybe you have something over your house. Just proper care, maintenance of lawn and garden. And then diseases, insects, um, gardening for butterflies, gardening for birds. I um, really try to keep it as broad as possible uh, and not not hone in on one particular, you know, just vegetables or just lawns.
0: Okay. Do you see any gaps in um, knowledge for gardeners in your part of Louisiana? Like anything that you think uh, needs to be expanded upon or that maybe you're just ex- interested in expanding upon too?
1: Oh, let's see. I would really like to see um, some hydroponics done uh, here in, in Louisiana and in New Orleans. Uh, we had a lot, of, a lot of people interested in growing stuff hydroponically. Unfortunately, you know, I don't want to be a skeptic, but some of these people would contact me and say, Hey, hey Lee, you know, I want to start a hydroponic blueberry farm
2: mm-hmm.
1: or, um, you know, whatever. Whatever it is they want to grow. Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's, it. that's excellent. So what experience do you have in uh, hydroponics or in agriculture? Oh, I have zero. So you want to learn how to do this the absolute most difficult way possible and the most complicated way possible to start off with. Yeah. You know, and so, all right, well, come on, let's, let's go figure it out then. Um, So I think just the gap is um, to get to that point would just be basic agriculture, basic gardening, having a, a firm knowledge of the science behind agriculture and behind horticulture, not just not just how to garden. Right. Um, there's a lot of books on how to garden. The problem with that uh, is that it never explains why. Mm-hmm. That next layer of information, and I think if people could understand that next layer, just that one level deeper, it really connects a whole lot of concepts that. When you're in a bind and you can't find information on a plant, you can make a very good decision based on the the concepts that you know and that you understand and that that are true among many different species and and areas of the garden.
0: I kind of see this, that in a way online right now. There's a lot of, um, like you said, how-tos or remedies and things like that. And there's no, it's almost like the gardening myth kind of thing use yeah. this and it'll cure this when it in reality, it's not, not going to help at all. And that's just constantly being perpetuated. And, you know, I try to bite my tongue cause I'm like, uh, yeah. you know, I might chime in if I really want to cause a problem, but, um, I, well, think, you know, yeah.
1: I see, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, being on social media, my wife's on Pinterest. I see this kind of stuff all the time is the, um, the male female bell peppers <laughs> at the bottom of the bell pepper, right. three lobes. It's a female. And if the, if it has four lobes, it's a male. Oh my goodness. And try to explain to somebody that this is ovarian tissue. It's female tissue. You know, it's like, it's a foreign concept. And then you try to break it down into humans and, and women that are pregnant. Like this is the, the pl- placenta, the ovaries, the, right. All the women's parts. There is no female, right? Or, or There's no male, right? Uh, components except for in the embryo of the seed. But again, you know, it's just it's back to the I, behind
0: the cute. scenes science part of it.
1: Yeah, it's it's cuteness. That it, you know, probably had a really good picture uh, that went along with it, and something you know, a bunch of good hashtags with it, and it mm-hmm. just takes off and explodes. That and weed control, uh, oh, goodness, vinegar, salt, and and. Dawn dish soap will kill mm. all weeds. Yeah, but with all that salt, you're not going to be able to grow anything in that area. You know, it's it's just that that next level of science. I think that that is missing. That I really wish people would would ask and question. You know, right? This person that posted that, do they know? And where's this, you know where's the where's this information coming from? Is it from a university? Is it from an accredited uh, doctor or PhD who who did a study on this? Or is it just, you know, trends in in gardening that have kind of exploded throughout the internet?
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with you on that. That's when you mentioned that a a frustrating aspect of, of social media, I would say. So, Mm -hmm. um, how is how are things like organic gardening and permaculture, natural gardening, kind of viewed in uh, well a in the extension agency and just with uh, gardeners in Louisiana? Well, is it still kind of in its beginnings? I guess,
1: yeah. Let's say it's at its beginnings here. Um, New Orleans is a little bit more advanced; uh, they're slightly more progressive than than Baton Rouge, so it's kind of neat having that those two cities to look at uh, next to one another. Um, but New Orleans is a lot younger too than Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is a little bit more conservative, a little older uh, demographic, even though we have the college town here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But our homeowners are not, are typically a little bit older, you know, right. young folks here, but they're and in school, they're living in the dorms, they have an apartment, rent house. So they're not out Gardening like a like a homeowner would be, but there's a lot more home younger homeowners or renters uh, over in New Orleans. And so there's a lot of permaculture. There's a lot of organic concepts going on in New Orleans. But here in Baton Rouge, we have a farm called Fullness Farms, and it's a two acre organic farm that grows primarily leafy greens. And it's one of the larger Organic farms here in the area, or as you go a little more north, um, uh, Cubby Rise is is probably the largest organic farm in Louisiana that I can think of okay. at the moment. And it, it's, I want to say it's twenty acres. Mm. Um, I would have to double check that, but it, it's it's fairly large.
0: Okay, so definitely in the beginning stages, kind of hopefully spreading outward.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think too, with it being in its beginning stages, there's still a lot of paranoia and fear. Um, that stage of organic gardening here in Baton Rouge, where, you know, I, I teach a master gardener class. Uh, mm-hmm. And so people that have come through there or even people that I take phone calls from, well, I'm not going to spray any chemicals. Well, why? Well, because they're, they're toxic, right? Well, yeah, but you know, you use bleach, right? Whenever you do your whites, that can be toxic, you know, and just trying to explain to them that, yes, there's some things that are toxic. If one, if we use them appropriately, that's going to be fine. But two, you don't have to hate the chemical companies to grow organically.
0: Well, like you said, the, uh, the vinegar and salt and Dawn, that, can be toxic too. <laughs> These yeah. organic solutions are.
1: Hey, I burnt the mess out of my hand one time. I was using a um, citric acid, or mm. excuse me, pelargonic acid, um, and it's an acid. Mm-hmm. It, it can be very harmful, and it I had a first degree burn on uh, my hand. The I mean, good thing I didn't get it all over me, or you know, drop the jug on me, but you know, something like Roundup or glyphosate. While it has its long-term effects, if you would have gotten a little bit on you at the moment, it wouldn't have hurt you immediately. You can go wash it off. And I'm not pro or against um, any person's choice. In fact, in my yard, I still only garden organically. But being an extension, I have you to give you options. Right. You know, I, can't, I can't force one down somebody's throat. And so, right. If you ever look at any of the articles or radio that I do, I give both options.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that when I've re- researched uh, any kind of extension or thing uh, here in Texas with our agency. So there's definitely they give you all the information for you to make the decision that you want to do.
1: So, right. Exactly. It's, it's your decision. Here's the data. Here's, here's here are your answers and your options, options that you could choose from.
0: Yeah. So um, we'll take a deviation from extension talk. Um, how about Ooh. your own plants and passions? You said do you like orchids and gingers and all sorts of good things like that.
1: Oh, yeah. So, let's see. Just my passion in horticulture, I think, if I had to pick a plant palette, it would be orchids, gingers, bromeliads, that tropical stuff. I mean, you could definitely tell that, you know, spent some time down in New Orleans. It's mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest uh, gardening places I've ever been, even though it has all the pests and diseases, stuff that are house plants, even here in Baton Rouge, uh, that we would not be able to grow outside or at least leave outside. You just leave them outside New Orleans. They may get stolen. <laughs> you leave them on your front porch, but um, at least they'll still live on somebody else's porch. Right. But um. But really, I think where my passion really lies and it it just happened to fit those few plants is propagation. And so, as I mentioned, I I grew up working at a nursery and then worked as a propagation coordinator up near you in Texas. And um, I wanted all the plants that we had at the nursery. And I just, I was in college, I was going into horticulture. So it's not like, you know, being a doctor where you can take out a loan and you know, you're going to make it back uh, you know, in ten fifteen years, right? You know, there's there's no money in this this field. It's definitely a field of passion. So, how do I get all the plants I want? I had to learn how to do some propagation techniques and some very tricky propagation techniques. And um, so, I've grown a lot of material out either from cuttings, uh, divisions, seed. And um, one of the things I'm very interested in now, and but have very little knowledge of is tissue culture and Hmm. we have a professor that retired here at LSU just a couple of maybe two or three years ago and he was he was pretty sufficient in in tissue culture but his lab is now abandoned for the moment and so um whenever I get that 25th hour in the day next week I'm gonna try to at some point get that that lab cleaned up and I really want to get in some tissue culture, especially for orchid production and and some seed culture of orchids.
0: Now, can you give a little, a little synopsis, synopsis of tissue culture for people who may not know what that is?
1: Yeah. So tissue culture, or sometimes it's called micro propagation and any propagation for that matter is the idea that you can take a single cell. The theory is that you can take a single cell and grow out an entire plant from that. Um, and so what we do is in propagation, we try to isolate areas of undifferentiated cells. So in human context, it would be stem cells. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're undifferentiated and we can kind of control what those cells are going to become as they continue to multiply. They can either become uh, root cells, they can become flower cells, uh, stem cells, leaf cells. And so if we can manipulate that, then we can theoretically take the smallest portion of, of uh, those undifferentiated cells and grow them out into a plant. So if you were to take coleus for instance, uh, and you get a nice one gallon size pot, you could probably get, I don't know, maybe say 50 cuttings off of that one gallon pot, but mm-hmm. if you were to do some tissue culture. You'd be able to get hundreds because you could just take little bits and pieces of that plant, um, And and grow them out in a, what we call an agar solution, which is kind of a, it's jello with Mm -hmm. in it basically. And, um, in a a very, very sterile environment. So you're dealing with negative pressure, uh, hood vents. Every time you touch something, you have to spray alcohol on it, flame it. Um, so because you're growing in such an optimum condition with optimum nutrients and light and water and moisture, you get one fungal spore uh, on that agar solution you could lose everything right so that's kind of it in a nutshell
0: okay no what are you wanting to try to uh to tissue culture
1: oh what i would probably start off with just to because it's more of a art than a science is um you still there yep i'm here sorry my uh screen went to um <laughs> screensaver mode oh, okay uh, i would probably start off with something like begonias or african violets something that i know that's very easy mm-hmm. play around with that uh and then eventually i want to get into orchid seed culture so they yeah. so doing some orchid breeding uh as well as maybe some some plants that we need to produce larger amounts of excuse me so um when I worked up in Waller, Texas, uh, at Magnolia, they have a tissue culture lab up there. And they have a few, I guess, rights, or I don't know what you would call them. But they, I think they're the only place that can tissue culture the southern living Nandinas. So oh, okay. all, that, all that, like, flirt and uh, blush and those, all those new varieties they've come out with, I believe them and maybe a couple of other people only have the rights to tissue culture them and they can only be grown through tissue culture Uh, same with like Xanadu philodendrons Um, 90% of the propagation techniques of Xanadu philodendrons are done through uh, tissue culture means it's very difficult to take cuttings of that or or to separate out and divide right Um, it takes very long time you're going to have really low numbers if you were to do it that way so
0: so, and, and like you said, those Nandinas wouldn't come true from seed.
1: Right. Probably. Okay. Correct. And so, and, and one of the good things about them is they don't spread. Um, like some of the older Nandinas. Oh, the goodness. Heavenly, goodness. The <laughs> heavenly bamboos and stuff that would just take over a uh, gardening area. So while you bred that quality out of it, and that's typically how they would uh, propagate them, it's just through them dividing um, multiple areas of it if it's not putting off as many shoots as it used to then how are you going to produce it and tissue culture is the means to that end okay
0: um so what else uh propagation did you guys did you do at the uh at the nursery here in texas
1: oh up in magnolia we did um i mean you name it if it's a shrub or a perennial that you could grow in texas uh we grew it so i believe um magnolia had the the trademark uh plants for texas oh yes like those plants um mm-hmm. they came up with that it was just a marketing um strategy so and i hope i'm not giving away any of their secrets right?
0: <laughs> <You> <laughs> don't have to elaborate too much that's but, fine
1: uh, but it was they knew what grew in texas they're from texas Right, uh, and so what they did is they just invested money into the pot. That way, whenever the consumers at the garden center, they can say, "Hey, that grows in Texas." The pot says, "Plants for Texas." Right, I am going to get that. So it, it increased their sales more uh, versus having a black nursery pot and saying, "Well, does this really grow here? You know, how well is that going to do?" And it wasn't everything. I mean, they had a select few plants that that did very well that were pretty much foolproof could mm-hmm. use that for. Um, but I will
0: say, I think the only thing frustrating about those plants for Texas pots is sometimes, I don't know. I think maybe the garden centers that they get distributed to kind of put them in their native section and mm-hmm. they're not necessarily always native. They're just, sometimes they are native, but sometimes they're, you know, a variety that just does well. So I think that is one frustrating thing. As a as a gardener, I see. So
1: yeah, I but yeah, have, that is
0: a good marketing technique.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't visit too many garden centers, um, whenever I was in Texas, we lived in an apartment. So, you know, here I am being a horticulturalist producing, you know, millions of plants every few months. And then, you know, I got like a little vermilion on my patio at my apartment. Yeah, (laughs) It was kind of, it was a rough few months as a gardener.
0: Right. Um,
1: But yeah, most of the things that we did were just cuttings. There were shrubs like azaleas, Indian hawthorn, uh, stuff like that. You know, nothing, nothing too fancy. Um, you know, but nothing too boring either.
0: Yeah. And you have a little nursery too, that you kind of do. I think you said it's on the back burner for now. What are you you trying to grow out?
1: (laughs) Excuse me. Um, so being a gardener and I'm sure anybody listening can attest to this is that there's a certain point, where the sickness just kind of takes over you and you just have just too many plants. Um, and so also loving to propagate, I just, I just ended up with so many plants. I just had to get rid of them. So I went to a nursery one day and just said, look, I have this stuff. Do you want it? You know, he said, yeah, you know, here's a couple of couple of bucks. And so being a County agent and kind of dealing with the public and also dealing with people who are interested in, in starting some sort of ag business I couldn't rightfully sit here and grow plants in my backyard uh, and then sell them for a profit without having the proper licenses. So I got everything set up. I got my stuff from a uh, Louisiana department of ag and forestry. And, and, um, so got, got right with the law on that. And then because of that, I said, well, let me see what I can do. Let me see how far I can push this. And, um, again, growing for orchids, gingers, um, so I guess kind of my theme for growing was I'm growing natives, I'm growing pollinators, and whatever I feel like. Right. And whatever I felt like was typically foliage, uh, tropical-type plants. But I really like to concentrate on, on natives and pollinators. I saw that, that that really sold the most, whereas the uh, gingers and vermilions and orchids, not so much. But it was a higher dollar. Uh, associated with
0: that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the pollinators, because it's just like the trendy thing now, you grow things for the bees and the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, butterflies. And I think a lot of people are interested in the tropicals, but they're definitely afraid of killing it, I would say. And like you said, it's a higher dollar. So yeah. you know, if they're spending $30 for a container or something, it's kind of a harder thing pill to swallow when it dies. So yeah.
1: Hey, um, you were talking about growing stuff for the butterflies. Uh, funny story is, and it's not just one story, it happens probably on a monthly basis, is people growing um, a sclepia or milkweed for the monarch butterflies. And I, I guess somebody didn't tell them or they don't understand, but um, again, I guess this is that basic science I was talking about is they call me, and they're just so angry that they have these darn black and white and yellow. Caterpillars <laughs> all over them And it's just eating their plant down. And the monarch butterflies are not going to have anything to come nectar on. Oh my goodness! And so yeah, I sprayed them, and they keep coming back. Like no, 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 no! no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> oh no! That's them. Like, no, it's a it's an orange butterfly. Yes, <laughs> but they start off as caterpillars. Right. Um. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had that, that phone call.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I saw someone on social media again, upset about Gulf Fritillaries eating their passion vine. And I was like, Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah. And we're going to have to do something about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely a, a, a work in progress, I think. So. Yeah. Um, well, we can, tr- I, w- I think we could talk for a long time, but we should probably kind of wrap things up. Um, where can people, I guess, listen to your garden show or find you, find out more information about uh, gardening in Louisiana and
1: uh, and where to follow you? Sure. Well, one thing as a county agent, if, if you have any um, specific plant questions, definitely contact your local county agent. Everyone should have somebody in their county or their parish, they can contact and, them- and bounce some questions off of. Uh, if you're here in Louisiana or in Baton Rouge, you can definitely contact me. Um, I just don't want to end up feel, um, fielding questions yeah, from Alex, Washington or Washington. something. Yeah, um, but uh, if you're if you're ever in my area, uh, my email address is lrouse at agcenter. lsu. edu. Uh, my articles. For the paper or online at theadvocate.com under, I believe, um, home and entertainment. Okay. Uh, The radio podcasts are, are, they're built in, they're turned into a podcast later on, are on wrkf.org under Bayou Garden. And then you can follow me personally, and all that I do for work, but um, my personal uh, Instagram account is Rouse. Is it Rouse's underscore horticulture?
0: I believe that's right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so I'm just putting whatever I'm doing in the garden, whatever I'm enjoying, um, growing insects I see, interesting things, try to stay away from generic stuff as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just, it's kind of inside of my mind as a horticulturalist. What I'm thinking all day.
0: Yeah. And I'll put all that in the show notes so people can, Click easily if they're if they're listening to this while they're driving. They may not be able to.
1: Oh well. It up, so until you get to the parking lot, way yes, by. for sure. <laughs> Drive well, safe.
0: Thanks for reaching out and wanting to be on the podcast. I'm glad we got to chat and finally, because we've had a lot of <laughs> times we've tried and had problems. Yeah, so.
1: man, this has been very difficult. I'm very pleased with um, with you. Just kind of accepting the fact that you know a couple of weeks ago that uh i just just could not make it happen during the hurricane and uh that's okay
0: you know, yeah. even though
1: even though we didn't experience the hurricane here we did have uh some things to address uh, right in the university. right
0: all right well thanks again and uh have a, a great day
1: absolutely you too all right all right bye misty bye.